Welcome to the Movie Planet. This week we're talking about 2002's Star Wars Episode 2, Attack of the Clones. With Joe. He is a political idealist, not a murderer. He couldn't assassinate anyone. It's not in his character. And Joel. And so, they've finally given you an assignment. Your patience has paid off. You don't need guidance, Anakin. In time, you will learn to trust your feelings. I'm your host, Joe, and with me is the Anakin Skywalker to my Obi-Wan Kenobi, Joel. Hello, Joe. JC is not with us tonight. Boo. JC had family duties, and, you know, in in honor of JC, we can all giggle at the word duty because we know he would do that. (laughs) But, you know, family first. You got to take care of them, so good on you, JC. We hope you're back next week for Revenge of the Sith. But, you know, we got Joel. Joel's been with us for a couple weeks. How you feeling? I'm feeling I'm feeling better this week than I have in the past weeks. A little more. <laughs> Maybe it's because I only have to focus on one person that I'm talking to. A little more at ease. A little more at ease. Yeah. I'm starting to get used to my voice. Listening to the podcast is dreadful. <laughs> um, I was just telling them I don't know why people talk to me because my voice is <laughs> so much weirder than it's been in my head for the past 25 years. But I'll get used to it. Apparently, this is what everyone's been hearing. Yeah. Well, on the upside, you have the you have the good mic, so you can lean back, relax yes. sometimes, bring it with you. You know, you see JC with his. He puts his hand on it, then it just destroys the mic stand. Well, we are going to go to recess. We got a nice big movie to talk about, and boy, we got a lot to talk about with this one. Star Wars Episode 2, Attack of the Clones. Let's go to the playground. I don't need more security. I need answers. I want to know who's trying to kill me. We are here to protect you, Senator, not to start an investigation. We will find out who's trying to kill you, Padme. I promise you. We will not exceed our mandate, my young Padawan learner. I meant it in the interest of protecting her, Master, of course. We will not go through this exercise again, Anakin. And you will pay attention to my lead. Why? What? Why else do you think we were assigned to her if not to find the killer? Protection is a job for local security, not Jedi. It's overkill, Master. Investigation is implied in our mandate. We will do exactly as the Council has instructed. And you will learn your place, young one. This week we are discussing Star Wars Episode 2, Attack of the Clones from 2002. Directed by George Lucas and written by Lucas and Jonathan Hale. So you can't complain because it wasn't just Lucas writing this one this time. Starring Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan Kenobi, Natalie Portman as Padme Amidala, Hayden Christensen as Aiden An- Anakin, I was going to say Aiden, Anakin Skywalker, Christopher Lee as Count Dooku, Samuel L. Jackson as Mace Windu, Frank Oz as Yoda, Ian McDermott as Supreme Chancellor Palpatine, creepy old man, Pernilla August as Shmi Skywalker, Tamura Morrison as Django Fett, Jimmy Smith as Senator Bale Organa, Ahmed Best as Jar Jar Binks, Kenny Baker as R2-D2, and Anthony Daniels again as C-3PO because you can't get that guy out of his gold armor. Now, a little trivia about this guy. It was made for $115 million and raked in $649 million worldwide. 
Wow. Nice little return. What a profit. Even more interesting, this is the only Star Wars film that was not the top grossing film of the year in North America. Really? It placed third after Spider-Man 2002 and The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. How excited are you right now? Don't you? <laughs> Spider-Man is perfect. Just so you know, if you ever go to this guy's classroom, he's got Lord of the Rings and he talks up Spider-Man. <laughs> there, there, there is one Spider-Man. <laughs> and it's Toby. Listen, how disrespectful is it to Macho Man Randy Savage that we keep remaking Spider-Man? That's right, because he was in that, wasn't he? Bonesaw's ready. Give me your Spider-Man. Is Macho Man dead? Yeah, he is. Uh, sorry. Well, he got real somber on that one. Sorry. Yeah, he's dead. Everyone just pause. Bow your heads. Take <laughs> off your shades for a second. <laughs> <laughs> he would have appreciated that. <laughs> oh, me. Snap into a Slim Jim and relax. Oh, Gotta have beef. <laughs> Gotta have spice. <laughs> Snap into it. <laughs> According to George Lucas, Obi-Wan's hiding in Geonesis's asteroid field teaches young Boba Fett a lesson that he uses to his advantage during adulthood. Having learned how Obi-Wan hid from him and his father, Boba Fett knows the trick Han Solo is using to hide in Star Wars Episode Five: The Empire Strikes Back, and is able to find him. Hmm. So if you remember, in Episode Five, uh, the Millennium Falcon hides on the Star Destroyer and then floats off with the trash. Yeah. And then Boba Fett floats with them and catches them. And wow. so he apparently learns this from this maneuver. Just before Anakin goes to search for his mother in Tatooine, he has a conversation with Senator Amidala. The camera pans to their shadows as they talk, and Anakin resembles that of Darth Vader. According to the DVD, DVD commentary, commentary, the Vader-like shadow that Anakin casts was not a special effect, but a complete coincidence. You need to send these out before we watch the movies in the week, because these are... Great. Samuel L. Jackson has said that the words bad motherfucker are engraved on the hilt of his lightsaber. Golly. <laughs> Gotta love this guy. <laughs> the Senate votes to give the Supreme Chancellor sweeping emergency powers to go to war against the separatist forces. This is the same ploy Adolf Hitler used to gain similar dictatorial power in mid-1930s Germany. I think we all remember how that one played out. Yeah, it didn't work out so well. Due to much of the animosity aimed towards Jar Jar Binks in Star Wars Episode One. The working title of episode two was Jar Jar's Big Adventure. <laughs> Just to piss him off. That's George Lucas right there. You got to love the guy. He... <laughs> uh, even better, in this movie, I believe at some point, Padme says something to Jar Jar, and as he's talking, she goes, I've kept you long enough, and shuts him up, and then moves on. <laughs> what, if, what could have been some other great titles? Jar Jar... <laughs> Jar Jar Binks lost in Naboo. (laughs) (laughs) Just the fact that he was willing to go, yeah, this is all Jar Jar now, assholes. Running at 142 minutes, this is the longest of the Star Wars films. I believe that. Yeah. It feels long at times because there's like four major stories happening in this at the same time. There are. Christopher Lee did not do all of his own stunt work. Being 78 years old and all, although he was able to do most of his own sword work during the climactic lightsaber stools, at times they used a stuntman whose face was replaced digitally with Lee's own. So they figured out the errors and stuff from episode one. Yep. I, no- I did notice that because we talked about the the mouth movements, everything being off for episode one. Yeah. Episode two is very well done it, digitally. And digitally. So to, for, them to say that, for them to say that he wasn't even in his 
those most of those fight scenes it's scenes is impressive yeah because when you watch it like i've tried to pay attention to those scenes and there's maybe one or two clips where i catch it and that's it and for being just three years after phantom menace that's a hell of a leap for tech to go yes in fact this next part is probably the biggest leap and that is according to animation director rob coleman not a single clone trooper suit was ever built every clone trooper is animated wow I mean, think about that. They got to a point where they're like, we don't even have to make this, half the props. And when you watch it, you said they're going, how on earth did they do that? Like, at the time, I remember, I, was, I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh, they're bullshitting me. And then as I watched it, like, you know, f- 10 years later, I'm like, I, I, I kind of see it now. I kind of see it now. Like, they didn't make any? Not a single piece. That's the surprising one part. Yeah. Every so clone in- trooper is animated in that. I mean, you look at, go back to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory with Johnny Depp. Yeah, they used one. They used one single Oompa Loompa, right? And based everything else off of that, and you could tell. But for them to digitally animate, yeah, the entire fleet—that's impressive. It is. The in what's more impressive is that when you watch that film now, there are, I believe, six straight minutes where there's no actual human on the screen, huh? Because. It's all like the battle droids versus the clone troopers. You're right. And that's all animated. That was lunch. Holy hell. Going into the synopsis, we're going to beat this thing in. It's a lot shorter than the Phantom Menace one, which is nice. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, A decade after the events of the Phantom Menace, the Galactic Republic is in crisis. What a surprise. A separatist movement led by former Jedi Master Count Dooku, or known as Darth Tyrannus to his buddy is threatening the peace, causing the Galactic Senate to debate a military creation act to form a standing army for the Republic's protection. Senator Padme Amidala, former Queen of of Naboo, returns to Coruscant to vote against the act. Upon her arrival on Coruscant, she narrowly escapes an assassination attempt that claims the life of her decoy Corday. As a result, Supreme Chancellor Palpatine requests that Jedi Knight Obi-Wan Kenobi and his apprentice Anakin Skywalker protect her. So... You get more trade, 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 trade. But something's happening that's a little bit more interesting, and that is you have this Darth character now interfering with government explicitly. Right. And not subtly. No, no. They know who it is. It's Count Dooku. Right. I don't know if they know it's Darth Tyrannus also, but they know it's Count Dooku. Now, the plane flies in, or not the plane, the ship flies in, and it's, this is the first time that from the scroll that the camera pans up. It's the only time, I believe, in a Star Wars movie the camera pans up. Usually it pans down to a planet. This time oh. it pans up to a planet. The ship flies in. It lands. Lady gets out of one of the ships. It explodes. Everybody rushes over to the queen that's on the ground. And it turns out to be the decoy. Does anybody give a shit about whoever was flying the plane? <laughs> <laughs> they were all just digitally animated in. Anyways. <laughs> And I didn't see anybody running over to the people that also walked down that ramp. <laughs> <laughs> now, they all meet with Chancellor Palpatine in his office, his nice, beautiful office now. It was nice. And Yoda's hanging out there and says, you know, seeing you alive brings warm feelings to my heart. And you're like, what you know sweetheart. what? I'm, I watched that. I was reminded to what JC said last week. When is Yoda not a dick? Yeah. Right there. Yeah, JC. I think JC remembers Yoda much differently. But no, but, he was. Yeah. I did notice more, and I tried to pay more attention to. It's like, 
Yeah, he's very direct. Yeah. And he doesn't play games, but there there are subtle moments where he really is genuine and kind. Like if you were a, a youngling, you know, you want him as your teacher. He's like, oh, did you get Yoda? Yes, he's awesome. <laughs> Who would you get? Oh, you got Mace Windu? Oh, you are fucking dead. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, and then the queen's worried about her life. And she basically, the senator says, I've got an idea. I'm going to pair you up with an old friend. No. Remember that guy, Obi-Wan? He's, hey, he, he can be your buddy. Yeah, he's got an apprentice. You, you may or may not know him. Can you see the strings being pulled? <laughs> oh, my gosh. There's no video on a podcast. <laughs> but I just had to close my eyes for a while. Christensen. Okay. We'll get Go ahead. Go on. <laughs> Anakin's back. Somehow, Kira Knightley or Natalie Portman didn't age at all. No, but Anakin is now just right behind her in age. In in defense of this, it has been let's see, 2002. It is now 2016. It's been 14 years. Natalie Portman still hasn't aged. No, you're right. <laughs> she really hasn't. <laughs> she hasn't aged. So we can't go with the whole. Well, she looked the same before. She looks the same. 14 years later, too. She really does. She good, just, for, good for her. I know. She must be using, like, Neutrogena or something. Yeah. Be proactive. Uh, but it is interesting. The first time you see Anakin, him and Obi-Wan are in an elevator. Anakin's all nervous. Now, Anakin's like your typical emo teenager right now. He is. And that's the thing. People were like, oh, he's so whiny. You know, He's a teenager. He's supposed to be. He's in the awkward phases. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. That's what, and that's the hard thing to remember here in that he's in the awkward phases and he wasn't never supposed to be a Jedi. He was never selected. He was reluctantly taken into this whole thing. Uh, Obi-Wan was kind of like, oh, I guess I'll guide you. So he's got a little animosity. Right. But he should be thankful. He, he should be thankful. He should be thankful. But you know what? Kids aren't thankful. <laughs> and, and also know what? This guy has had sunshine blown up his ass. Since day one, you are the chosen one, the yeah. chosen one. And as the chosen one, he's thinking, well, then why do I need a fucking master if I'm the chosen one? I'm the man. Well, we're going to find out why, because <laughs> you can't make a fucking decision to save your life. He's pretty arrogant pretty quick. He really is. But going back to what we said in the last podcast, which is that he came from a household where he was making the decisions. And You're so right. now he's in a position where he's not trusted and he doesn't know why. So that arrogance is built. And the worst part is, he, when he does make decisions against what they want, it works out because he's so fucking good. Yeah, fair so, enough. I mean, that, that's the sick part about this, is that you're watching the psychology unfold, and you want to like just hit the brakes on the kid and go, just stop, man. So he's nervous because, you know, he dug her. He dug her when he was a kid. He did. And, and, you know, he's like, oh, I'm nervous. I don't know. And relax. You know, Obi-Wan is so smooth. He's like, we got this, man. Relax. But what happens next is the first foreshadowing that something is amiss. And that is when they're sitting on the couch. And Padme is saying, yes, there's been an attempt in my life. And Obi-Wan says, we're just here to protect you. And Anakin says, no, we're going to find out who also did this assassination attempt. And Obi-Wan's like, excuse me? And they talk. he talks back to his master, and, and he puts him in his place. Yeah. But you're kind of like, oh, no. Yeah, no, I was, I cringed pretty hard at this point. <laughs> I was looking. Tell me about Christensen. 
So my fr- my friend sent me a a picture this week, and I don't know if it's clickbait or what it was, saying Paul Walker was considered for the role of Anakin. He was. But they felt that the chemistry between the other two were better. I watched episode two twice, mm-hmm. picturing Paul Walker, and I loved it when I pictured Paul Walker. But it was Paul Walker. It was Colin Hanks. He was considered. Oh, man, he would have been good, too. Yeah. Actually, I don't know. No, but the reason why they picked him wasn't just the chemistry. Specifically, it was because they looked good together. Yeah. When if you, and if you look at the pictures, the photos of them before the press releases and all that stuff, they looked great together. But then he opened his mouth. Yeah. Yeah, if he could, if he could have gone through the whole movie and kept his mouth shut, it would have been so much better. But, ah, oh, man, he... I don't know what it was. I remember leaving the theater when I saw this movie just being a middle schooler and being fully aware that I hated this guy. <laughs> but that's us being used to Hollywood where you're supposed to love the actor. Yeah. This guy's a terrible person that kills thousands of people. So it's the same way in WWE. Oh, yeah. Vicky Guerrero. I'm sure everyone knows who I'm talking about. <laughs> but in wrestling, there's always a heel. There's always somebody, and you watch it, and you're like, "This is I hate this character. Yeah. I hate it when they're on stage. I hate it when they talk. Then they're doing their job. There were definitely some lines that were read, and again, we can get into that later. Uh-huh. Then it's just like, all right, take it easy, guy. <laughs> but if you're going for a character that you can visibly notice is mm-hmm. doing what he's not supposed to do and is annoying you in a way that you're like, well, if you keep doing this, you're going to go down the wrong path. That's exactly what happens. So in the realm of showing us that he's going to turn into somebody that we don't like, then he's doing a good job early by showing his ass. And that's the hardest thing about this film is, again, this is a film that a lot of critics panned because the main character isn't likable. But if you watch it from the perspective that Star Wars doesn't necessarily have a main character. Right. I mean, the arc is the tragedy of Anakin Skywalker and how he was this hopeful youth, that he had so much promise. And in the end, he becomes this ultimate killing machine that all for love in the end he does he makes all these decisions because he's in love and his downfall is because he feels he has the power to do this and the only way to get there is by sacrificing the things that are most important to him for those that he loves and that's how he becomes Darth Vader yeah and then he's stuck in that mode for the next 25 years so they agree okay we're gonna watch over the queen and nightfall comes Anakin is already fucking around. He's like, I got R2 in the bedroom in there. Don't worry, he's got his hand. He knows what's going on. And Obi-Wan calls him out saying, you're using her as bait. Why the hell are you using a senator as bait? And they start to have a conversation about politics. And they, they, both, they both have this discussion about, I can feel everything in that room. And Obi-Wan says, well, perhaps not everything. My, my senses are a little more attuned than yours. And you just got, you can see the power battle happening there. That these aren't not necessarily a master apprentice. They're more equals. They're like brothers almost just fighting. You're right. Because Obi-Wan, when he took Anakin, mm-hmm. was someone's apprentice. He was Qui-Gon, yeah. And it was just a very quick change. So maybe um, Obi-Wan is still in that phase of not feeling like he's a true leader, but feeling like his mentor got taken too soon. 
So maybe he's the one that got put into his position a little too early. Yeah. And so that's when the battle comes through because he doesn't he has a lot of patience. He does. And but he's learned that from Qui-Gon, I think, because Qui-Gon is was always preaching patience. Right. And when you watch this, it's kind of funny because in episode three, when we talk about it, they truly are in episode three brothers at that point. Right. It's not a master apprentice. It's not a father-son dynamic because I think Anakin even says he's like a father to me. It's become a partnership, and they are the ultimate partnership. They are like Riggs and Murtaugh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One is by the book and as good as you can be by the book, and the other one is the wild card who will do something, and sometimes it'll work, and sometimes it won't, but when it works, holy hell, it's great. Right. Uh, so they both have this little argument and they send something in the room. Anakin runs in there, jumps on the bed with his lightsaber, slashes a couple of worms. And I'm like, how did he not hit the woman? Yeah. <laughs> First thought. First thought. <laughs> have you seen the outtakes from that, by the way? No. There are outtakes where he, there's one where he runs into the room and trips before he hits the bed. <laughs> you just hear Portman laughing hysterically. Like that guy didn't jump up here. <laughs> and then Obi-Wan looks out the window, sees a probe, and jumps out the fucking window and grabs on. Yeah. That was pretty extravagant, huh? Well, let's look at the first movie. The first movie, we saw everything we need to know about the Jedi in the first 20 minutes. They are fearless. Right. And they make it seem like they're used to these situations. I don't know about this one. Though. <laughs> Dude, he's flying through a city holding on to something, getting shot at, and all is well. Hoping that his Padawan will grab a car and rescue him. The pay, it worked. This feels like an Anakin plan, not an Obi-Wan plan. Right. <laughs> Sometimes you just have to act. Yeah. But you're right. The In the early, in the first 30 minutes of this movie, they do a lot. And it's very, I don't want to say it's over the top, but they're doing a lot. It's an interesting scene because you see how they work together and that they do have a trust in each other that has been cultivated through experience with each other in battle. This this is the first time where it really sees where it appears as a tandem. Yes. Like when they're driving and they stop the car and you went completely the wrong direction <laughs> and he jumps out. And Obi-Wan kind of looks at him and goes, I hate when he does that. Yes. And it's like, okay, there is a back and forth here. But then we get the running joke of the lost lightsaber. <laughs> like, they can't hold on to this thing. <laughs> <laughs> so Anakin jumps quite a ways. This isn't like the 25-foot drop in Phantom Menace. Yeah, the air duct. Yeah. This is a good, I don't know, 1,000 feet. <laughs> <laughs> Lands on the exact car. I believe. Doesn't he land on the bounty hunter's car? He might. I think he lands on the exact car and then is messing around with his lightsaber, trying to get it in the pilot seat, which I don't know how you miss that. I mean, <laughs> there's only one place the person can sit. You stick it in. She shoots, shoots. He loses his lightsaber, but Obi-Wan's already in the car and he catches it with his hand. Classic Obi-Wan. <laughs> Obi-Wan always to the rescue. But again, we're seeing the partnership. They know each other's moves. And on one hand, you go, this is way too damn coincidental. On the other hand, you go, they're fucking Jedi. Right. But we get the bar scene next. <laughs> Tell me what you thought of the bar when you first saw it. 
is familiar. It's it looks like a sports bar. It's it like does. they walked into BW threes. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Buffalo Wild Wings. Beat up. They had gambling. They got aliens running around. Someone's selling death sticks. That's the thing. You look at a galaxy far a long time ago mm-hmm. in a movie that was made before quote before the originals. Yep. They made episode two look really good. Yeah. For the way they made the bars and stuff look in the original three. But again, you know more about this than I do. If it's a different planet with a different culture, with a diff- different economy, yeah. maybe that's the case. Well, but co- everything in the city looks so bright and so futuristic, whereas the original ones, it was very futuristic, but it still had an element of that it was a long time ago. And yeah. People were still farming, and they, they lived in huts, and this one, they're in the middle of this Times Square. But again, it might have been a totally different planet. Well, that's ignorant. the thing. Coruscant, uh, the planet itself, is a giant city. Okay. It is a planet that is literally a giant city. And so it's supposed to look as commercial as it does. Uh, Tatooine is on the outskirts of the galaxy. The Republic's barely not even out there. They're kind of like one of those forgotten planets. They're Pluto. So they're going to have much more primitive dwellings, much more primitive bars. So although you're going to see some of the same aliens, eh, you're not going to get the same drinks. Right. You, it, like in Tatooine, you're going to get yourself your Budweiser, right. your Paps Blue Ribbon. You go to Coruscant for your Guinness. Right. You go there for your Gertz. Yep. Your Gerst. I said Gertz. Gertz. <laughs> Gertz. Get your Gertz, too. Two Gertz. That night, the assassin Zen Wessel makes another attempt on Amidala's life, though the Jedi are able to foil her plot. They pursue her through her gal- the, uh, the city's called Galactic City. Hmm. <laughs> Clever. Eventually disarming her in a bar. Now, they disarm her because she's a changeling, and they... They don't know what she looks like, but Obi-Wan feels it. And we get the feeling that, like, Obi-Wan chops off her arm, doesn't he? He does. Yeah. Yeah. This is the, this is the first time Obi-Wan chops off an arm. The second time is in episode four when he chops off somebody's arm in that bar. <laughs> there, there were a lot of parallels between episode. They, they pulled a lot from the original trilogy yeah. in episode two. This is an interesting point because now this movie finds its theme which is this is going to be a film noir. It's going to be a detective story. Because Obi-Wan plays like Sam Spade detective. Try to figure out the clues. <laughs> and it's when you look at it as a story, it works magnificently. But every execution in this movie makes you want to pull your hair out. <laughs> the line reading is abysmal. The line reading is bad. And you know I mean, I've seen Hayden Christensen in other movies. He can't act. What what movie? A uh, Life is a House. Okay. Yeah, honestly, after episode two, I probably just avoided every Hayden Christensen movie. And you're sitting there going, because you look at the lines and you go, like, I've even sat there in front of the mirror and done some of Anakin's lines myself to see <laughs> if I could do them better. And they can be interpreted so much better. Yes. Because on the written page, it's exactly what you want them to say. And I wonder what Lucas was thinking at times when he was directing this going, that's the one I want. Yeah, the original tr- the original trilogy was the original CSI. Uh-huh. And when Christensen came in, it got very CSI Miami. <laughs> Have yes. you ever just, you know, like when you Take love someone? Yeah, when, like, you know, when you love someone, Queen? I mean, Madam? I mean, Senator? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, we got it, kid. <laughs> we got it. Subtle. 
Yeah. And that's the everything's very dramatic and whatever. I'm not an actor. <laughs> you do a good job. Thanks. So upon being questioned by Obi-Wan and Anakin outside the bar, and Anakin gets a little rough with her. Tell us now. And Obi-Wan can look like, what the f***'s wrong with you? You talk to people like that. A saber dart flies out of nowhere, kills her. He looks up and he sees something flying up in the air. Yeah. So the Jedi have no idea who her employer is. Returning to the Jedi Temple, Obi-Wan is assigned by the council to track down the assassin's killer. So basically, they're getting Anakin's wish. Right. Which is only going to make Anakin feel a little bit more smarter. Right. It's going to boost that ego a little bit more. But again, this is, this is great storytelling because you have to know Anakin's really character is. to do this. And Lucas, for all the faults people give this guy, he knew what he wanted to do with this movie. I just don't know if he was the right person to direct it. That's a good point. Meanwhile, Anakin continues his task of protecting the senator and is asked to escort her back to her home planet of Naboo. I'm worried about them. I'd be more worried about her. <laughs> I don't know. I'm more worried about him. <laughs> He's a little... He gives her a few looks in this, which are very like, I'm going to hit that, whether you like it or not. <laughs> he is a, I mean, he is a teenager in this movie, and oh, he, yeah. he dramatizes small situations like a teenager in this movie, and maybe they just got it right and were expecting too much, and we're expecting what we want. Yeah. Because when you Golly. watch him, in, when you watch him in episode three, he is a grown-up version now, and it works as an adult. So he worked as a child, he worked as an adult, but that teenage, that awkward year, is the rough one. Both of us have worked in middle schools. We've seen it, and I mean, kids say things that you say. That's not how it is, man. Yeah, don't react that way. <laughs> that's not how you say those things. You're being way too dramatic just because you have a crush on somebody. And that's what Anakin does. He has a crush on somebody, but there, he's also been told he's the chosen one. Yep. And so he was confident before, and his confidence is only growing and only growing. Excuse me, ma'am, but I believe I'm in charge here. Oh gosh. <laughs> Don't mind him. He's still a Padawan learner. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I forgot my favorite line in this movie. My favorite line in this movie happens when he first meets her again. And you've grown more beautiful. Oh, Anakin, you'll always be that little boy on Tatooine. <laughs> oh, that's got to stay. Dang. <laughs> that hurts. Because <laughs> it's funny, because the camera pans away, and he just puts his head down like, damn. You're like the brother <laughs> I never had, Annie. Oh. <laughs> Anakin welcomes the opportunity, of course he does, as he often becomes angry and frustrated by Obi-Wan's criticism and is glad to have an opportunity to be on his own. Bad move, Council. Further, he has become infatuated with Padme and relishes the chance to spend more time with her. Of course. Yes. This, this whole scene with him and her, all it needed was some Barry White in the background. <laughs> <laughs> Junior Representative Jar Jar Binks assumes the Senator's duties in her absence. <laughs> in her where? <laughs> it makes sense because the Naboo and the Gungans, they found their place together. They did. So if she's not in charge, it makes sense that a Gungan would be. Why it's not Boss Nas, I don't know. But they chose Jar Jar and is and Jar Jar? He is the fool in the tale. He is the fool, and he makes a foolish choice later on. But this little is what, bit. This is what I mean, think about this. Supreme Chancellor Palpatine is trying to get the senator off the planet because there's a vote coming. He knows who her second in command is. <laughs> Jar Jar Binks. 
Misa. You can, we, Misa can manipulate him. <laughs> <laughs> this is, I mean, I mentioned in the last podcast that the very end of that movie, when they say the master or the apprentice, and it right, goes right to the uh, Chancellor Palpatine, that that was the giveaway. Right. And being that's the giveaway, we have to go with the idea that, okay, we, we are now going to see how he manipulates this whole situation. And the way he does it is beautifully. Because nobody suspects a damn thing. Because it all looks like reasonable things to do. Right. Somebody tried to kill you? Okay, we'll get you off planet. You would do that. Yep. But we find out later that Dooku, who works for him, hired the guy to saber dart the assassin to do this. And it's like, oh, he's behind the whole damn thing. Classic politics. Ugh. During the investigation, Obi-Wan is led to a mysterious planet called Kamino, missing from the Jedi archives. If it is not in our archives... It must not it exist. Must. I watched that scene again today, just thinking, this is a really nice library. <laughs> it's it's like, yeah, it's like the Library of Congress. We got everything here. <laughs> <laughs> just so, I mean, thinking today we have cell phones. If we need to find anything, we look it up. And we're in this galaxy where they have swords that'll cut through anything and things that can travel at light speed. But Obi-Wan has to go to the library. <laughs> In order to check his resource, still can't find it. Has to ask the lady at the front desk for help. And she's like, I don't know. Yeah. If we had it, honey, it'd be in our card library. Which is like, kind of funny because it's like the library is like God. Yeah. If, if, it doesn't, if, if it's not here, it doesn't exist. Right. <laughs> it was a long time ago. But then he goes to Yoda because he's like, this bitch doesn't know what she's talking about. Goes to Yoda where he's with a bunch of kids and a like five year old figures it out. <laughs> Kids, <laughs> you know, <laughs> why does this happen? Perhaps the it was erased from the memory banks. So you're trying to tell me Obi-Wan couldn't figure that out. Yoda had an inkling, but chose to go, kids, you answer this question. Like, you're an idiot. I'm going to have a five-year-old put you in your place. It's almost as if his Jedi senses were so strong. He knew what was coming. <laughs> He's like, guys. We're going to mess with him really quick. You, <laughs> when he asks, tell him this answer. <laughs> <laughs> Obi-Wan wants to student of mine. Show him how much I've improved. Fan, <laughs> fan theory. Yeah. Well, it's kind of weird because he, 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 he answers his own question when he asks the question. He goes, well, here's the map. All the stars are all headed towards this one spot, but there's nothing there. There's only one logical choice. It's been erased. So Obi-Wan finally gets his answer, and Yoda, again, is one hell of a nice guy in this. He really is. He's friendly to the kids. So we've seen him be cordial to Padme. We've seen him be cordial to the kids. I'm not seeing this awful thing that JC talked about last week. He might be sticking up for his boy, Little Annie. Uh, oh, Little Orphan Annie? <gasps> he is an orphan. Wow. How about, oh, my Lord. Hmm. Does that make Obi-Wan Daddy Warbucks? Daddy. <laughs> daddy. <laughs> Luke, I am your daddy. So, yeah. Daddy Warbucks. Uh, so he goes to Kamino. He's told by Prime Minister Lamassu that the army was ordered some 10 years ago by Jedi Master Sifo Dyas. Although Obi-Wan was under the impression that Sifo Dyas was killed before that time. A bounty hunter named Jango Fett was hired as the template for the clones. We hear Fett, we think Boba Fett. Right. And you're like, oh, who the hell's Django then? And it comes to be that it's his father. Now, interestingly enough, if you're going to 
make a clone army, you're going to want the best person to do it off of. Django seems pretty damn capable. Seems that way. And when you look at stormtroopers later on, you see when they you see Django, you, you you immediately start going. I see the similarities in the costume. Yeah, it's just evolved to a certain point now. Right. And so I thought it was a brilliant move. Make Django the one that they do it. Uh, stormtroopers with. Uh, that being said, how does the Jedi not know that there's a whole army being made <laughs> on a planet that the Republic is well aware of? There's always that city that people just ignore. <laughs> There's always that outskirt town. They're like, they're making it. <laughs> Is there we, one in Nashville? Um, would that be Antioch? Antioch. It's there. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone has a cousin in that town. And they're like, I mean, we'll, we will talk to them at some point. I would have hated to be Obi-Wan in this scene, though. To be you and McGregor, because you're playing against nothing. Yeah. I mean, he's trying to talk to the aliens, and that's why I'm here. I didn't think about that. Like he does a good job of playing the whole. Okay, this is new. I'm gonna pretend like I know what they're talking about. And you see, you and McGregor stretching the acting legs a little bit there, and George holding him back a little bit. Obi Wan and Django meet up, and Obi Wan automatically knows this is this is the guy. We got it. This is the dude. And thank God he knew to go there because he went to that one diner where his four-armed buddy, Dexter, was at to tell him where to go. Remember Dexter? I don't. Obi-Wan. Yes. Good to see you. (laughs) (laughs) For some reason, that scene just sticks out like a sore thumb. Want some Jawa juice? (laughs) Are we in Spaceballs? (laughs) I feel like I'm in the diner in Spaceballs. It's literally a train car. Really? In a place where everything's fucking flying, you have a train car as your diner? Uh, so he knows to go to Camino. He meets up with Django. He knows Django's the dude. He kind of confronts him a little bit, but doesn't do anything about it at first. Like, I'm not going to beat the shit out of you in front of your kid. Right. That's respectful. I'd say that was a nice thing for Obi-Wan to do. And in turn, you would expect pleasantries from Django Fett. You know what they say when you assume... Make an ass out of you and me. He tries to capture Django, which leads to a titanic one-on-one fight between them. Which is a good fight. It's also no lightsaber. It's all hand-to-hand combat. Does he not have his lightsaber at all during this? He starts off with it, and Django whips it out of his hand. Yeah. Yeah. It's all hand-to-hand. Kicking, punching. It's like the only one you ever see in Star Wars. Which shows you that it's not all force. And So do you do Jedi's train hand-to-hand combat? I get, well... Do we see that in the original trilogy? You don't in the original trilogy because there's no Jedi left. It's all Force. It's all Force, yeah. Which is funny because if he's got the Force, why don't you just Force push Boba or Jingle Fett off the damn ledge? He's young. He'll learn. <laughs> he's figuring it out still. <laughs> uh, again, you mentioned last week, you're like, you know, it's all lightsabers fighting, fighting. But this is the first time we actually see hand-to-hand. And Obi-Wan seems to be capable. He's holding his own against a full-on mercenary. Right. It's not, it's not great, they throw in, in armor also. Yeah, he throw I think Jango Fett throws him off the 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 building into the water and Obi-Wan does the classic I've got a grappling hook and it sticks and then he swings and he's back on. Which anytime a hero falls off a ledge, expect a grappling hook. <laughs> it just happens. Uh thank you Batman. Shout out Batman. Django makes use of his blasters and missile equipment, managing to defeat Obi-Wan by sending him plummeting into the raging sea below. Thinking he is dead, 
Django departs Kamino with his son, Boba. Unable to capture Django, Obi-Wan places a homing beacon on his ship with one hell of a pitcher's arm. I mean, he whipped that. That was a sidearm throw, too. <laughs> <laughs> the slave one and follows him to the planet of Geonosis. So that's where we leave Obi-Wan. So Obi-Wan's story, he knows who it is. He's got a tracking beacon on it, which he whipped on that thing. And thank God it's stuck. What if it had just bounced off? <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Do you think the force has played into that as far as guiding it and making it stick? I'd like to think so, but then I'd wonder why he never used the force at all during that fight. I think you almost have to think so. Yeah. You know, but, you know, if you're going to go on the basis of prove to me that this could happen. It is Star Wars. Not and it is Star Wars, <laughs> which is just funny with us. Well, even in a galaxy that does not exist, at a time that doesn't exist, we're still like, meh. Yeah. No, no. Not, not enough on, evidence for that. Not on our planet, <laughs> Lucas. <laughs> oh, okay. So, meanwhile, let's get back to the romance. No. <laughs> meanwhile, Anakin and Padme have been spending much time together on Naboo, enjoying each other's company and playfully frolicking in the fields. <laughs> it's so <laughs> damn silly. It's. I mean, it's like a... It's... Oh man, the even the like <laughs> I wish you like, could see him. He's at a loss for words right now. <laughs> when he like when they're in the field and he like jumps on her and then they roll over. I'm like, that is in every cartoon about any love story mm-hmm. ever. And this is my defense for this. This movie is for children. And children see romance differently than adults. You're right. And if they see that, they understand it. The next yeah. scene, however, that's for adults. <laughs> Fireside crackling. She's in a nice black negligee. Yeah. Ass- Someone's getting sexed up that night. Assumptions. Yeah. You don't. First of all, they both are. Before this scene, you have to imagine that one of them made the fire. One of them said, let me slip into something more comfortable. They both decided to stay on the same couch. And now there's a problem. That's right. <laughs> it's against the rules. Yep. Forbidden. So, sorry. On earth, maybe. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Eventually, Anakin reveals his deep love for her. I, <laughs> my second favorite line of the movie. I wish I could just wish these feelings away. <laughs> I wish I could wish. I wish I wish I was a fish. <laughs> That's a trap. Where's Harrison Ford to say, you can write this, but you can't say it, George. It's a, it's a trap. Uh, Golly. <laughs> However, Padme resists, explaining that it would be impossible for the two of them to be together since she is a senator and he is a Jedi. Anakin's angered by this because he's angry all the time and experiences inner conflict between his strong desire for her and his duties as a Jedi. Love versus duty. Hmm. JC. (laughs) (laughs) We're thinking about you. We got you, JC. (laughs) But he says something here, which leads to the first real true deception, which is we could keep it a secret. You don't know whether or not to root this guy on at this point, because on one hand, you want him to find someone who he does love. And on the other hand, he's fucking up the universe right now all for a piece of ass 
in his defense, have we've seen like five girls in this entire movie up until this point. So in his mind, he's like, I saw you, mm-hmm. and I have seen no one else, and I don't know when I will see someone else again. The last so, woman I saw was a changeling. <laughs> she got a dart <laughs> to the throat. <laughs> Everyone I get close to dies. Which we'll see later. His entire, the entire movie. The kid I, is cursed. Yeah, I guess I'll cut him some slack. <laughs> now I will. Uh, Anakin is also troubled by a newfound sense that his mother is in grave danger, and he beckons for Padme to accompany him to his home planet of Tatooine. In the process, disobeying Obi-Wan's direct orders to remain on Naboo. Now, how many times have you told a kid, go over there and stay there, and the little fucker gets up five minutes later? Mm. How many times in general or how many times this week? <laughs> now, don't you wish you had a lightsaber to deal with that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sit down. <laughs> What's bad is Padme enables it. Classic woman. She enables. <laughs> well, yeah. She goes, okay, well, let's go to, you know, if your mother's in danger, let's go. We got to do with your mother, you know. And uh, in the process, okay, so upon arriving, Anakin tracks down his former owner, Watto. From which, from whom he learns that his mother has married a moisture farmer named Kleeg Lars, <laughs> and travels to the Lars Moisture Farm. Moisture Farm, which ends up being Luke's home. It does. It's Luke's home, and you're like, oh, I know that place. I know that little desert igloo. So many times in this movie, you see, oh, that's from the original. That's from the original. That's from the original. Bubba Fett. Mm-hmm. This, the stormtroopers being created. So, yes, yeah, so much. And I don't know. I, but that thing, I, when you look at it as a six-part story, you need these things as set up. No, you do. To get there. You do. Uh, and they have enough original stuff in there, but at the same time, you kind of want to see something a little bit more original, I think. Right. You know, I, I think that's what you're trying to get at here is that, that they use a lot of old ideas, but it's also only this whole story takes place in just a 35-year span. You're right. I mean, it really does. Until you get to episode seven, when you push back another 20 years. So now we're at a 57-year span. So it's not that big of a time. It's really not. And which I'll get to later, there's a lot of really good stuff in this movie. And it's yeah. a movie that had to, obviously it's a movie that had to be made. Mm-hmm. But it's a very essential movie as far as what is in it. And, I, and when I say they're using things and foreshadowing to the original movies, that's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. It's but it's the appeal of this movie that I think it's hidden by a lot of different things. And due to other different variables, we forget that this is a pretty essential movie yes. in the entire trilogy. People talked about how they want, after this movie, they were like, we just want to see Anakin turn into Darth Vader already. You know, when's it going to happen? It happens in this movie. Yeah, it does. It's subtle, but it's happening right before your eyes. You saw a little bit of disobedience at the end of the first movie. You see a whole lot now, but you can justify the disobedience. It's his mother. And regardless of anybody's situation as a Jedi, his situation is very specific because he was taken older than most were taken from their mothers. So he's got more of an attachment there with his mother than anybody else, any other Jedi can understand. So in that respect, you almost sit there going, he should go. He should go check out what's going on. And it gets you back on the side of him again. When they get there, 
to the Lars Moisture Farm, Anakin and Padme find C-3PO. Welcome, 3PO. We had to put him in there somewhere. And the droid introduces Anakin to his stepbrother, Owen, who ends up being Uncle Owen from episode four. Now, do you notice anything about him? Uh, who? Owen? Owen. Uh, no. Oh, it's Joel Egerton. Yes, it is Joel Egerton. Holy cow. Yeah. From the Warrior. Yes. Black Mass. Yeah. I was, I was like, oh, my gosh. Familiar. Sure enough. I in, did not notice that. In episode two and three. Holy hell. Was Aunt Beru anybody? Uh, I'm not sure. I can find out. Yeah, find that out. Cleeg uh, tells Anakin the horrible truth, that his mother was kidnapped a month ago by a pack of Tusken Raiders. Anakin travels through the night and finds her tied and beaten in a Tusken camp. Now, it's kind of funny because this is a very sad story that is very glossed over, which is... Uh, but these Tusken Raiders apparently have been just going all over Tatooine, just busting shit up. And Kleek has lost a leg fighting these de- guys. And you can tell the man is defeated. And he's like saying, she's dead. She's dead. She's been taken. She's gone. And Anakin again says, no, I know better. I'm going to find her. Lo and behold, he's right again to boost the ego. Yep. Um, Anakin travels through the night, finds her tied and beaten in a Tuscan camp. Within moments, she dies in his arms. And it is hard to watch because you could, this is Hayden Christensen acting. This is it. And you, and it's like, it, you almost think George wasn't on the set this day. Cause he has, you can tell this is a son who loves his mother, who wants to save her. And when she passes, he the music swells and you see his face contort to I'm going to kill every last dude around here right now. And it's pure anger. The next scene you see, you, you hear, you, you see some Tuscan Raiders hanging out at a campfire and you hear, they turn his way and he's already decapitated two of them. And he's got a look on his face like y'all are dead. This is this is a good scene for Anakin. Yeah. And for Christensen to mm-hmm. say, yeah, did, you weren't bad. You weren't always bad. You did this one well. And you're right. This is a good scene because I don't remember ever thinking, being nitpicky or critiquing anything that he does in this scene. My only wish was that the scene was longer. It would be it would be really good because it cuts longer. away as soon as he does his final slash, and then it goes to Yoda meditating, and he's hearing the turmoil in this kid, and the first voice he hears is Qui Gon yelling, "Anakin, no, Anakin, stop!" And it's not working; nothing's working, and and Yoda's fears from Episode One are being realized right now. I think he says like. You know, somebody says, are you okay? Mace Window says, everything okay? And he goes, young Skywalker's in terrible pain. And that's precisely what that is. It is pain and anger and suffering that he's going through. I wish the scene was longer, and I wish the garage scene that happens next, where he talks to Padme, is shorter. Anakin comes back. Oh, nope. I remember this one. <laughs> I watched this one twice today, because I audibly went, oh, man. <laughs> uh Anakin brings his mother's body back, and he's got this look on his face like, yeah, I did it. 
They bury her. Anakin says, you know, listen, Obi-Wan's holding me back. Uh, and does, you know, he, he confesses to killing all these Tusken Raiders and it doesn't scare off the Senator. Yeah. She becomes a supportive mother type almost. Right. I mean, she understands she's, they've, they've obviously got that attachment and she's grown to see him as more than just a little boy, but uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a big turning point in the entire second part of the trilogy and seeing him totally just turn, uh, lose patience with the training, the Jedi aspirations. You can tell the kid's frustrated. And there's a scene that was cut out actually of this movie, a deleted scene that's on the DVD or the Blu-ray where when they first go to Naboo to hide, Anakin and Padme go to Padme's family's house. And he meets her family. Huh. And he sees this warm environment that their family is. And this happens before any of others, any of the others happen. And so that kind of adds to the turmoil. Like, I could have had this. You should put that in there. The worry was that it'd be too long. It was long. At 142 minutes, we were already at long. Uh, there were a couple of other deleted scenes that they took out of this also. But that was probably the one that I wish they had kept in. Because... It adds to the fact that Anakin's constantly being shown the things that he could have had. He meets his mother again, could have been there for her, you know, meets a family that could have been one like his. And he's getting regret and he's wondering, why the hell am I doing any of this? And that leads to this. I know what's best. Just listen to me already. On Geonosis, Obi-Wan overhears a meeting between Count Dooku and the leaders of the Commerce Guild and learns that they are behind the Separatist movement and have built up a new droid army. He also learns that it was Newt Gunray who ordered the assassination of Amidala as revenge for the defeat of the Trade Federation at the Battle of Naboo. Obi-Wan transmits his findings to the Council, relayed by way of Anakin and Padme's ship though he is surrounded by droidicas and captured before he can finish his report. The report itself is interesting because they, the hologram shows up in front of the council and they're all like, all right, here's Obi-Wan. He's telling what's going on. And then you see him getting fired upon and attacked in the hologram. <laughs> and they're all just sitting around going, we might want to go there. <laughs> Something's amiss. Everyone just puts <laughs> their hands on their knees and is like, and pushes themselves up. <laughs> He's been sitting for 20 years. Someone grabs their keys. It's like, I'll drive. But Obi-Wan catches this droid army. And again, we've seen droids before. We ain't never seen the processing plant. No. And it's formidable. Pretty cool. Uh, now that the Jedi Council knows of Dooku's army, Jedi Master Mace Windu leads a team to Geonosis. Unbeknownst to them, Anakin and Padme also make their way there to rescue Obi-Wan because this guy is not staying around anywhere. Yeah, he's putting a lot of miles on whatever it is he's traveling in. This isn't like when your kid said when you have a kid in class that says, "Can I go to the bathroom?" and they just go down the hall to another classroom. This one went to another classroom, then went to the bathroom, then went to the cafeteria. <laughs> and you're like, "It's one of those you have to." I have to at least keep reminding myself he is a teenager. Yes, and he's doing his own thing because that's what teenagers do. And teenagers do dumb things. Yeah, we did dumb things as teenagers. We were overly dramatic. We overreacted. We didn't know how to manage our emotions. And that's the hardest thing for me to remember when watching any of these movies with Hayden Christensen. Mm -hmm. But maybe I just need to get over myself and understand that again, with Jake Lloyd, maybe, and it's hard for me to say, but maybe he's playing yeah. the character he's supposed to play. Uh huh. 
Well, it's nah. funny. Think about it this way. Hayden nah. Christensen was around 20, 21 years old at the time that this was made. We, when we joke around about what kids are like that age, we do it for like, you know, 10, 15 seconds. Try to do it for a two and a half hour movie and make it serious. It's hard to. I mean, I, I, there's a reason why they have accomplished actors sometimes playing teenagers. Because right. you have to be good at it. And Hayden Christian was kind of an unknown at the time. The reason why they got him is because he was an unknown. In fact, I believe one of the names that was bandied about for this movie was Leonardo DiCaprio at first. Really? And he was like, nah, come on. Nah, I'm not going to do this. And uh, Which would have been interesting because, again, that's another guy that could have been a great Anakin. Yes. But that being said, how much would George Lucas have pulled away from him? I don't know. That's the hard piece. And you can't just say that it's Hayden because you look at the other actors. Natalie Portman, some of her lines aren't working. You look at Ewan McGregor, some of his lines don't land. And that guy tries to act his ass off in these movies. It, so it's, it's got to be direction at that point, I think. You're right. Meanwhile, Representative Binks. No. We're back to this idiot. What a title. Representative <laughs> Binks. Isn't he junior representative? <laughs> like, Assistant to the junior representative <laughs> Binks. <laughs> <laughs> He's not assistant. He's just assistant, too. <laughs> uh, Representative Binks calls for Chancellor Palpatine to be given emergency powers <laughs> with which he can call the recently discovered clone army into battle. Uh, back on Geonosis, Count Dooku tries to persuade Obi-Wan to join him, warning him that Darth Sidious is now in control of the Senate. Obi-Wan refuses to believe him, saying that the Jedi would have known if that was the case. Anakin and Padme arrive on the planet, but are quickly captured by Jango Fett and sentenced to death, joining Obi-Wan in the Geonosis arena where they are are to be executed. You want to talk about the video game that they go through before they get to this point? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) The thing goes, I watched this right before I came over, and I thought to myself, this would make a great video game. Because that's what it was. Yeah. she was, It was like Frogger. She's going through things, but she goes forward, and then she backs up a little bit, and then runs really fast to get through the I melting almost, iron. I almost wonder if somebody did a YouTube clip of that with Frogger music in the background. Oh, my gosh. Like when they did George Costanza pushing the arcade machine across the street. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but it was, it was a video game yeah. in a movie. And we also see a first in this scene. R2-D2 has shoulder rockets. Oh, because he goes to the ledge and then he flies off with his shoulder rockets. And everybody goes, what? <laughs> How come that didn't work when he was in Dagobah and he <laughs> fell in the water? What? He couldn't just fly out of that? Uh, it's a cool little trick. I liked it. I hate C-3PO from this point on. Why is that? Because he's turned into Jerry Lewis. Oh, yeah. He is... Oh my, what a drag. And, you know, oh, I'm losing my head. <laughs> or doesn't he get his head put on another robot? Yes. Yes. I don't feel like myself or something. But isn't the other robot putting words in his mouth? Yes. He's, he's like, oh my. <laughs> I didn't mean that. Take that, Jedi scum. Oh my. <laughs> what? <laughs> what kind of programming is this? Uh yeah, so we see that scene. We you, it's a suspenseful scene. There's some lava being poured in some pots. We don't know which one Natalie Portman's in. Thank God R two came to the rescue again with his little Swiss Army knife dial up connection. Uh, but he stops that whole thing, and then the bugs stop them all. 
Now, Anakin on the other side, he's messing around with some other things and loses his lightsaber again. Come on. And then says the following line to kill all the suspense in this. The music stops and he goes, Obi-Wan's going to kill me. And you're like, George. You're right. You're absolutely right. I dig. <laughs> George, it, this is like, how rude. Huh? <laughs> that And even in the very beginning where he says, oh, I hate it when he does that. Yes. <laughs> you didn't have to. The, your face said it. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's what Lucas didn't get when directing. Sometimes facial expressions can say all the words for you. Yeah. Uh, and some, and I get that he wants to make this for kids, but kids are pretty intuitive also. You have to give them the benefit of the doubt. For this movie to have been the third g- highest grossing movie. Yes. Does this remind you a lot of a couple of the scenes from the movie that it ke- followed behind in those ratings? In the two tower, is it two towers when it goes underground to show all the orcs getting made underground? Yep. From a distance, and you see the exact same actor. <laughs> Over this entire army of cloned <laughs> creatures, saying, "Christopher yes, Lee was busy that year." Yes, <laughs> create creating all these clones that eventually will hope he will hope to take over an yeah. entire good army or a goodness and instill his evil and his bad. I, I didn't even think about that. It's the I forget. First of all, I forgot that Two Towers came out that year. But also that Christopher Lee played both parts. Both parts. Holy hell. Darth Saruman. That's a power. That's a power. He, he, I think he could have been the winner in the end. Yeah, he could have been. Darth Saruman. Yeah. In the high stands, Count Dooku, Newt Gunray, Rune Hako, and Poggle the Lesser, Jango Fett, and Boba Fett watch the start of the planned execution. The trio are forced to battle a Reek, a Nexu, and an Eklay. These look pretty cool. This is like now we're in Gladiator. This is a really good scene in the movie. It's another one of the scenes that gets overshadowed yeah. by the criticism that came with it. This is a good scene, and it's a fun scene to watch. I love this scene because we've never seen this in a Star Wars film. And even more so, you believe the Jedi are going to get out of this. You don't know how Padme is going to, but you see what she brings to the table. She, like, I think... Like, Obi-Wan and Anakin have a conversation, and he goes, well, what about Padme? She seems to be on top of things, and she's climbing the pole, and the other two are just sitting there talking about it. You're like, well, someone's getting their ass out of there. <laughs> when we're talking about the allusions to the original trilogy, yes. this reminds me of Jedi, where they're about to go down and be executed with the sand monster. Yes. And you're just waiting for... I mean, there's real, there is no sign that there's hope for them mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden these what's about to happen happens yeah they use the force to get the, the, talking about the original trilogy mm-hmm. everything just begins to happen yeah and these unseen monsters seem to have their mat their work cut up i'm losing my mind right now <laughs> fridays after a school week yeah obi-wan you know does his best First of all, he takes out a couple of guards, grabs the spear, and just starts, you know, whipping it at the giant green monster, sticks it in his mouth, and the green monster just, like, snaps it in half, like, and you're like, okay, you need something better than this. Anakin does the whole, like, chill out, I'm coming to get you, I'm here, calm down, jumps on top of it, and then 
wreaks havoc in the arena. <laughs> so Anakin again is saving the day. Chosen one. God damn it. Could this guy be wrong at some point? In the, I guess in the in the very end, is he wrong? <laughs> well, the last scene, that's a pretty big wrong. Yeah. During their struggle, Mace Windu arrives with his Jedi strike team and does almost a Pulp Fiction-like reading <laughs> of the line. Like, he sticks, a, sticks his lightsaber underneath Jango's head and says, this ends now. Okay. What else do you expect from Samuel L. Jackson? <laughs> and Chris Lee turns around and goes, I'm afraid you're, you know, horribly mismatched. I don't think so. And then the droids come down the hall, which didn't he just come down the hall? Jedi speed. Thank you. Didn't even recognize that. Jedi speed got down the hall, except when he was walking real slow to get there, <laughs> uh, which what would have happened if they had died while he was running, walking real slow in that point? Shit. Late. <laughs> You'd have felt pretty selfish at that point. <laughs> Trying to make an entrance. <laughs> Mace Windu arrives with his Jedi strike team, and they battle Dooku's droid army in the arena. Upon seeing so many Jedi in one place, Jango Fett jetpacks down to the arena floor and engages Windu. After a short struggle, Mace Windu manages to kill Jango due to his jetpack malfunctioning, but defeat for the Jedi still seems imminent. Decapitates the dude. He does. And then we get an interesting moment with Boba oh. Fett. Boba Fett grabs his father's head in the helmet and just kind of stares at it. And you're like, the birth of a villain. You're right. right there. Right there. And explains why he doesn't like Jedi. And it makes sense. You can't blame him. No. Kind of killed us. Dad. <laughs> kind of. Kind of. <laughs> just a little bit killed yeah. him. But let's be honest. If his dad hadn't tried to shoot up Obi-Wan at the at Kamino, maybe that's not what has happened. You know, we could have worked things out amicably. Hindsight's always twenty twenty. Really is. Luckily, Obi Wan or Yoda unexpectedly arrives with the Republic's new clone army, descending upon the arena in gunships and picking up Padme and the surviving Jedi. Around the Jedi, create a perimeter. <laughs> 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 Having Yoda bark out army orders is just kind of funny. <laughs> they should have given him a, like a mega horn. <laughs> a little mega horn. Yeah. <laughs> He had a little lightsaber. He did. <laughs> what I mean, like just an air horn. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is th- from this point on. It's just it's his bedlam. Yes, it is full on war, and we get to see not just one or two Jedi, hundreds of them. That's my. F- that's one of my favorite parts about this movie. Do, in any other movie, do we see just a bunch of Jedi with different colored lightsabers? In their element without any story behind them. We don't, maybe, well, you don't see them all together in Revenge of the Sith. You see maybe four together when they go after Chancellor Palpatine. Uh, but I don't think, because all the other ones you see individually on their other planets that they're on. Yeah, because you almost forget when you get so caught up in the story of Luke yeah. and all the Obi-Wan, those Jedis, you forget that they're not the only ones. You almost have this idea that there's the council, mm-hmm. and then there's a one at a time focus on one Jedi. Yeah, and then like James Bond, you have one James Bond. Right. Then when that James Bond is gone, you get another James Bond. You just <laughs> yeah, have a bunch of 007s, but you forget that there are other agents out there. Yeah. And what I like about this is it shows that there is an active Jedi force that works together and that is relevant, and that the Jedi's that we're focusing on in this movie can't and don't do it all on their own yeah 
It also goes against everything that Yoda says. Oh no, that Qui Gon says in Episode One, when he tells Padme in Episode One, "We are peacekeepers. We can't fight a war for you." And now the Jedi are put in a position where they have to fight a war. And this mm. plays right into the Chancellor's hands. Okay. <laughs> it's deep on a million levels. It man. really is. <laughs> I've learned more about Star Wars in the past seven days. <laughs> An even larger battle erupts outside the arena between the Republic's clone army and the droid army of the Confederacy of Independent Systems. Newt Gunray and Rune Hako subsequently retreat in Gunray's ship, Poggle the Lesser, and trust Count Dooku, Dooku with the early plans for the Death Star. I like that. And I didn't catch this the first time I saw it in the theaters. I didn't. It, it, I remember my buddy was next to me. He goes, did you see that? It was the Death Star. I was like, I didn't see anything. And I went back like the next day, and I was like, oh, there it is. Uh, Dooku attempts to escape, but Obi-Wan and Anakin track him to a secret hangar. But before this happens, they're flying with Padme. Padme flies out of the ship on accident. She gets knocked out, and Anakin orders the clone troopers to put the ship down to save her. And Obi-Wan says, the hell's wrong with you? No, 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 no. Stick with the mission. She needs our help. Oh, man. And Obi-Wan reasons with them. What would she do if you were in that position? She would do her duty. All right, then let's go. Stop. Okay, so they go to the secret hangar, and Obi-Wan tells Dooku, or Obi-Wan can run in, and they see Dooku, and Obi-Wan says, okay, we'll take him together. We'll take him now. And Anakin runs off again and gets his ass kicked. Good. By some force lightning. Shot in the chest. Shoots off. Go over there. Obi-Wan. Sits there going, oh, god damn it. <laughs> now it's just me. Dooku shoots him with lightning, and Obi-Wan does something interesting. He blocks it with his lightsaber. And I've seen a meme that has gone around about Luke Skywalker being shot with the stuff. And it's like Obi-Wan and Yoda both learned how to stop lightning with a lightsaber. How come they didn't teach me this shit? <laughs> 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 this scene is the iconic scene. This is what, whenever people think Attack of the Clones, they think of this scene. Yep. Because it's two young Jedi versus a very old Jedi, and their asses get handed to them. And it takes an even older Jedi to put them down. And when this happens, I remember in the theater, like, first of all, Obi-Wan gets, you know, cut up, thrown on the ground, and as Dooku's about to slash at him, who comes to the rescue? Anakin Skywalker leaps like a jackrabbit and blocks it. And the next scene was like a roller coaster. It got me really high and then dropped me right down again. Because he stops it, and Obi-Wan throws Anakin his lightsaber, and now he's got two. And you're like, never seen this before, and now we're going to see how good Anakin is. And it's only in his hand for about six seconds. It doesn't last Duke, long. Dooku knocks it out of his hand. And you're like, <laughs> damn it, it could have been so good. Because <laughs> he looks proficient with it. Yeah. He's whipping it around, and Dooku's kind of going, oh, Christ. You know, what do we do? Eventually, they get to a point where they knock out the lighting, and it's like this dance almost that they're having. And it's like a very seductive dance with the lights off, a red lightsaber flipping around, and they're both very intense looking at each other. And 
it's very like it, it foreshadows the entire arc of what he's going to go through because Dooku knows what his role in this master apprentice thing is. And he's going to be replaced at some point if he doesn't find himself a replacement himself. So Dooku's kind of looking at him as this kid's good. Join me, buddy. Right. Get get on my side. We can take down the other guy. Anakin eventually gets taken care of, gets his arm chopped off, because that's what happens in Star Wars. At least in the second installments. And you think, okay, all's lost. And then our little green friend shows up. This is the def- this is the scene that I talked so much trash about this movie when I saw it. Yeah. I as a kid, I did not want the love story. I do understand as an adult that it was needed yeah. and you have to have it to tell the story. But as a middle schooler, I hated this movie because I didn't want a love story. I wanted Jedi's and I wanted lightsaber yeah. battles. And I I don't remember who I was talking to, but I was saying there was nothing good about this movie. Mm-hmm. And they said what about Yoda's lightsaber fight? And I said, that was the best scene of the movie. <laughs> and it was so good. He, this is another thing where we see new powers by the Jedi. Yep. Because Yoda, first, he shoots lightning at him, and Yoda catches it. Like, really? That's all you got? Then he shoots lightning at him again, and this time he shoots it up at him, and it hits the, like, no, Yoda throws the lightning back at Dooku, Dooku blocks it, it hits the boulders above Yoda's head, and Yoda's like, okay, I got that too. It stops the boulders from hitting his head. Throws uh, him to the side. Until this point, are we ever given any any knowledge that Yoda is still capable of anything? We of really any type aren't. of power. We know that he still has the skills to teach. We know that he has the ability to mentor. Yeah, he's very much, he knows how to foreshadow. He can, he can see things that are going to happen. Right. I don't remember until this point thinking that Yoda was able to move quickly at all because everything he does is so smooth, so slow, so patient. Mm-hmm. This scene blew my mind, blew my 11-year-old mind in the capabilities of a Jedi, especially in old age. Well, the only thing, the, there's only one line I think we get in this that alludes to that, and that is at one, one point Obi-Wan is chastising Anakin on something, and he goes... If you paid attention as much as you... No, I'm sorry. If you worked on your lightsaber skills as much as you get lost or whatever it is, you would rival Yoda as a swordsman. And that's the only thing you hear from it. And you're like, that's kind of like, okay, so Yoda's played with the lightsaber before. Okay. But no one expected to see it in the theater. And when Dooku says, it's clear that this cannot be solved with conventional means, but in a lightsaber instead... I remember the theater going, what? <laughs> and when Yoda opens up his jacket and forces, just the lightsaber goes right to his hand, yes. you're like, no way. They did not do this. How are they going to do this? And the next scene is glorious. I don't even know how to describe it. It's, I've, I've never seen that before. And you realize Yoda at 800 years old is still not someone to fuck with. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you understand now why they're saying like Anakin is like second to Yoda at this point when it comes to being a swordsman. Yeah. Because uh, no one's beaten this dude. Right. Uh, now, it's interesting enough, Yoda 
I believe Dooku was Yoda's apprentice. Okay. Qui-Gon was Dooku's apprentice. Obi-Wan was Qui-Gon's apprentice. And so this is like a line of apprentices that we have coming down. And the one at the top, Yoda, is the one who wins. You're right. Which, huh. if you think about it, if his lessons were taught to Dooku, and then they were watered down to Qui-Gon, watered down to Obi-Wan, it makes sense that Yoda in the past hundred years may have lost a step. His, his apprentice turned evil. The lessons that went down to Qui-Gon, Qui-Gon could have joined the council, but he never did because he didn't like the way the council was headed. Headed by his grandfather, Yoda, basically. He teaches Obi-Wan, and Obi-Wan's defiance is Qui-Gon's defiance. Because he says, listen, I'm not going to listen to the council. I'm taking this kid. So you have this constant line of denial of responsibility that ends with Anakin. Yoda is responsible for what happens with Anakin. And he feels that responsibility in episode three. Huh. Wrap your noodle around that one. <laughs> I'm trying to. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, yeah. Hmm. Yoda saves Anakin and Obi-Wan from a crushing pillar. Dooku runs away because he's a little pussy. <laughs> uh, runs off to Darth Sidious. First time we see Darth Sidious in this movie, actually. Is it really? I think it is. We don't see him before this point. Not as Darth Sidious. You're right. Yeah, because he Dooku gets off his ship and Darth Sidious is waiting for him at this little like. Oh, no, you're right. Oh, you're right. Spot. Flying to an industrial sector of Coruscant, he meets up with his master Darth Sidious, who is pleased that the war has begun as planned. And Good. this is also the first time that Darth Sidious refers to Dooku as Darth Tyrannus. And now we have a master and apprentice. So the movie ended in episode one saying a master and apprentice. And now in the end of this movie, we see who the master and apprentice actually is. They are together. Nice little book ending. It is. Uh, in the Jedi Temple, Obi-Wan, Mace, and Yoda ponder Dooku's warning that Darth Sidious is controlling the Senate. Yoda is hesitant to believe this, stating that the dark side is capable of creating fear and mistrust. He and Windu agree that they should nevertheless closely monitor the Senate. Meanwhile, Chancellor Palpatine and a number of senators, including Bail Organa, Leia's adoptive father, oversee the launching of massive clone troop forces. Oh. And back at Naboo, Anakin with a new mechanical arm and Padme hold a secret wedding with C-3PO and R2-D2 as the only witnesses. Because they had to be fit into the movie at some point. They had to stick R2 and C-3PO in there somewhere. And this is the ultimate betrayal to the Jedi. Yes. And that's where uh, it ends. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> so what did you think after watching this movie? It wasn't as bad as I remembered it. Yeah. Being young, and I've said it five times during this podcast mm-hmm. already, I, I didn't like this movie. And I honestly, going back to JC with Behind Enemy Lines, okay, he was excited to watch the movie yes. that he had such fond memories with. And then he watched it, and he was let down. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of hesitant when watching episode one because I had, I still have some of the best memories with episode one. Yeah, and so I was afraid to watch it again for fear that it wouldn't be what I remember it to be. Same thing with Rookie of the Year. I still, 
<laughs> I still have it in the plastic wrap. I haven't opened it yet. Just afraid to open it at this point, going, I know it's good in not, my head. At least not until the World Series is over. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, it was almost the it was almost the opposite with this movie. Yeah. It could not be worse than I remember it. No. There's no way. Because this was my least favorite movie, and I would still just like snark at it mm-hmm. if anyone ever mentioned it. So I was very excited to watch this movie and see if my mind had changed. This is a good movie. Yeah, it's not bad. There is a lot of there are a lot of, as you said, misdirected yep. things. There are a lot of scenes that could have been done differently, a lot of lines that could have been read differently. But overall, there are good scenes in this movie. There's a lot of action. There are a lot of action scenes that were enjoyable. Yeah. It's not as if it's not like in episode one where you have the pod race. Then you have a little fight in the middle, and then the fight at the end. Right. You've got the arena fight. You have the one at the end. Oh, gosh, what are some other? They're like... You have the detective story. Yeah, yeah, detective story. There's so many, and I had them written down. Yeah. But there's so there are more just big things that happen. You're like, that's a good... You say, that's a good scene. Mm-hmm. That was fun. That was fun to watch. That was fun to watch. The clones, watching all the clones made. Right. The going through... The video game scene we were talking about earlier. <laughs> there are a lot of exciting things that get kind of overshadowed by you saying Hayden Christensen just annoyed me as a character. But most teenagers are annoying, right? And they are. <laughs> Gosh, I'm trying to be glass half full. You know, this movie gets a bad rap from a lot of people, and it's not bad. It's not. It's not bad. It's It's got good moments. And again, if you can get past some of the re- line reading, the story work so well for what they want to accomplish. They want a divided air. They want a divided Republic. They want them to fight for something that they don't truly know what they're fighting for. You want the Jedi to re to be realized in a situation where they're no longer effective. And you want to see how Anakin, what, what on earth could turn Anakin to the dark side? The only thing that could do it love. Yep. No more powerful emotion to pull somebody off into a different direction. People have done some of the worst things on this planet for love. And his best intentions are the biggest problem. Wants to save his mother? It's too late. Wants to save Obi-Wan? Get caught up in a gladiator ring. You know, it just it never seems to work, but in the end, it works for him. Things that worked well. I had down the battle scenes and the lightsaber fights. Yeah. Right. I put the detective film noir arc that Obi-Wan's a part of is awesome, and it's a great story. It's just not well executed. I think setting <clears throat> things up for the original trilogy that were already made worked well. Yeah. Showing us where the clones got their origin, showing us how who Jango Fett was, mm-hmm. his role, and then what ended up fueling Boba Fett, the setup to Anakin's original just defiance. Yeah. He showed a little bit of independence in the first movie, but here you really just see him become arrogant and want to do his own thing again, as most teenagers do. Yeah. So I I think that answering questions, questions we didn't ask and that didn't have to be answered, right? But were very beneficial for now saying it ties it all ties together. It's easy to shit on this movie and be like the masses, but if you Truly sit down and, and go, you know what? I'm going to open myself up to this and see what it's all about. It's easy to defend also. Mm-hmm. Things that didn't work, 
Hayden Christensen. <laughs> I think that's it. Just like you know, it's overall everybody agrees. Yeah, it just it didn't work. Uh, the line reading is really bad in this film. The romance is hard to relate to as an adult. I'm sure kids ate it up. They understood it, but right. as an adult, it was hard. Right. And unfortunately, most of the adults that saw this movie in the theaters were the diehard fans. They grew up with it. They're no longer kids anymore. They want an adult story. Well, they're not going to get it. Sorry, fanboy. You're going to be disappointed. Fuck off. Yep. The, I think the audience for this movie is people could forgive acting. <laughs> people can forgive acting just yes. for storytelling. Yes. Fair enough? Yes. Uh, report card, what do you give this one? This is the ranking that I've thought about probably the most this week. <laughs> Because if it weren't in the trilogy, and if I weren't a completionist when it comes to trilogies, yeah. I wouldn't have bought this one. Oh, really? I, I wouldn't have initially. Yeah. Because it just left the bad taste in my mouth. I didn't care for it. Yeah. So for me to even just, I mean, even watching it, there were just moments where I cringed, mm-hmm. but I was, it was this also this battle of good and evil. You, where it's, you wish you, you could cringe. just wish these feelings I, away. I wish I could wish <laughs> these feelings <Perficious>. away. <laughs> C plus. It is. It's a t- it's I can't f- it's either C plus or B minus. It's just yeah. above the average movie in that I did buy it. But when I'm sitting down to watch a Star Wars movie, this is not going to be my first choice. It won't be my second choice either. You know, it's funny. Usually when I put my grades in, I put them ahead of time. And then after talking it out, there has been occasions where I need to change the grade because I start to hear things from you guys and I want to kind of you know i understand what you're trying to say and it changes whether it's up or down and i originally put down a c plus for this but after going on the defensive for this movie i have to give it i gave it a c plus originally i've got to give it a b minus because it it's still a seamless movie and it shouldn't be one that should have the c attached to it i don't think because the movie itself is essential to the overall story and if i'm going to go with my initial idea for doing these six movies, seven movies in a row, and that they are parts of a whole story and not just standalone movies. This fills in the next chapter, whereas Phantom Menace introduced everything, this sets the stage for what's to come now. You're right. So I have to give it a B minus because it was the story is good. It's just God damn the acting. And uh you know, it, it, yeah, he's moody and whiny, and sometimes it can come off as annoying. And it's why, you know, I need a planning period be, between other periods <laughs> so I don't have to be around 13 year olds all damn day. Just give me a half hour to myself. Yes. And this is why that annoys me. So he's in the awkward years between the little Jake Lloyd and the badass Jedi Knight. He becomes in episode three. And it's funny because as much as I hated Hayden Christensen in this movie, in episode three, I absolutely loved him because it was like, yes, yes, that's what I've wanted all along. And you need this guy to get to that guy. Right. So that's it. Well, that's all I got time for today, Movie Planeteers. You can email the Movie Planet using the address movieplanetpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to pass the word on to your friends about the show. Subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Overcast, Podbean, or Spotify, and help the show get on its feet with a four- or five-star review. Tweet with any questions, comments, theories, and I'll try to fit them into the show next time we're on the air. Send those tweets to at MoviePlanetPod and like us on Facebook and Instagram using the links in the show notes. Special thanks to Twisterium and SoundJ Music for providing our intro music and our ending music. Thanks for listening, and happy movie watching.